Hello, and welcome to the XXLA Architects Podcast, a show featuring Los Angeles's leading women in architecture and issues relevant to our profession. I'm your host, Audrey Sato. My guest today is Ina Dubnoff, an architect and artist who had a diverse career since graduating at the top of her class and as the only woman in her class from USC in 1960. Ina has her master's degree from Columbia and throughout her career taught at Penn State, SciArc, and USC, and also worked in the offices of William Pereira, A. Quincy Jones, and SOM. She established her own practice specializing in projects for nonprofit organizations with a focus on affordable housing. What I find really interesting is that Ina was able to work on large projects with a small and flexible office, and she did this through strong partnerships and relationships that she built throughout her career. Many of her projects have won awards, including from the AIALA, Los Angeles Conservancy, and CCAIA. During this episode, Ina speaks honestly and openly about lessons that she learned over her long and varied career. I admire her unpretentious nature as she talks about her major accomplishments and the way that she navigated her own path through architecture. I hope you enjoy the conversation we had. Well, my parents were sort of interested in architecture. I remember that they subscribed to arts and architecture when I was young, and they had friends who had houses done by what were contemporary architects then. But it was sort of decided because I was good in math and I was good in art, and they thought that that was a good combination and that architecture made sense. And there was no question that I would do something that was a profession. So um, you went to USC? Well, I actually started at Berkeley, where uh, I was 16 years old when I started architecture school. And that was 1954. Wow. And uh, it was great, except it really wasn't great because it wasn't practically okay. I was too young to get an apartment, so I I couldn't do that. So I had to live in a dormitory. And in those days, you had lockout at 10 o'clock. So, and the... And the uh, boarding house that I was living in was the opposite side of the campus from the architecture school. I had a small room and a small desk and a roommate. So doing the kind of work that you have to do in architecture school just was really difficult because you need to hang out in the studio and you need to be there all night. And I just couldn't do that. So I did fine, but it was really difficult practically. So I ended up coming back and applying to USC and living at home for most of that time that I was in school, which was a lot easier in certain ways. So what made you go decide to go to Columbia after that? Uh, well, that was a long time after that. It was about, oh, okay. I had been out of school for about six years. I'd already worked and gotten my license. Uh, what happened was that uh, Gregory Ayn was one of my teachers at, at USC. It was a great faculty at the time. There were just really a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. Anyway, he he had gotten appointed to the chairmanship at Penn State University, and uh, he asked if I wanted to go back there and teach. And at the time, I had I think I'd just gotten my license and had quit my job, I believe, at Pereira's. And uh, so it, it was a good thing. I had never lived in the East. And I thought, well, this would be great. So I went back to Penn State and taught there for two years. But then I realized that 
if I'm going to teach, I better get a master's degree. So, so I ended up at Columbia. Wow. And I, at the time I was teaching at Penn State was when I, I worked summers at Skidmore Owings in Maryland, New York. So uh, it sounds like all of the faculty work you learned from and um, working at SOM that maybe it was a bit more open for women to enter the field? Um, <laughs> I have to say I never really thought about it. It was not a big issue. I, when I was in school, you know, I'd, I'd get a lot of really sexist comments a lot of the time, but it... I don't know, it was hard to take it really seriously. I mean, what I knew was that all I had to do was really work hard. And I, I did, I worked really hard, and uh, I got really good grades. I was the only woman in my class, and practically the only one in the whole school at the time. There were maybe you know, a couple of others that came and went during that time, but I was on my own. And I don't know, in a way it made me feel kind of special. I so, bet. So, it had its advantages and disadvantages, but I didn't, other than the, the comments, which were pretty outrageous, I didn't feel that anybody actually penalized me. They were sarcastic and tried to be dismissive, but if you do good work, it didn't work for them. So maybe the sexist comments were more surface and things to deal with, but the work was judged for the work. I, I like to think so, but, yeah. you know. It's, it was a long time ago, and I, I don't know how I, you know, I didn't have I didn't have much of a feminist consciousness then. You know, nobody did. So, uh, so my perspective was a lot different than it is now. So I don't know how I would have reacted had I been more aware yeah. at the time. Well, I think uh, that awareness also comes with experience and age, because we don't know when we're young. Right. And other women, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, all that came from other women were paying attention to those things and, and uh, you know, contact with, with those women and sisterhood. Yeah. yeah, I mean, clearly you did really well in school. Um, you got a AIA Medal of Excellence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that was for graduating first in my class. Fantastic. That's what that was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As the only woman in your class, too. Right, right. Do you think any of the other guys were jealous? or? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm still friends with a lot of them after oh, all these great. years. So, you know, if so at the time, it wasn't. And I ended up working working with some of them later, actually up until recently. Oh, I still great. work with some of them. So good friendships. And, uh, yeah, I, did, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> or if I, they, I didn't know about it if, right. it, if it happened. Um, and from your experience at USC, it sounds like that's where you um, worked in William Pereira's office and uh, A. Quincy Jones as well. Yeah, I, di I didn't meet Pereira there, but I did meet Quincy Jones there. And I worked in his office one summer. And then uh, later on, much later on, when he was, uh, when he was not real well, uh, he was working out of the barn on his own. I mean, his office was still going, but he was didn't spend a lot of time there. And, and I went and worked with him on some projects in the barn. Wow. So that was, that was great. Were there a lot of women in those experiences? No, no. Uh, the, well, there were always a couple of women around, but definitely in the minority. Pereira had, I think, one other woman, maybe two, in the office. Uh, SOM had it was one woman who was a project manager, you know, real responsibility. But other than that, I think I might have been the only woman in the New York office. But at the time, there was a woman partner, actually, in, out of the Chicago office, oh, okay. which was very unusual. I never met her, but uh, they definitely gave women responsibility. But, you know, there just weren't that many women architects around anyway. Right. So 
Did that ever discourage you that there weren't a lot of women? No. You didn't care. I just, <laughs> like I said, it was a different time. And we, yeah. we, and we just didn't think about it. Hard to believe now. Yeah, it is. It is, but it was really a different, a different time. I right. mean, I wish I had had more awareness of all of that. I'm not sure what I would have done with it, but, but I didn't. It's really good that you had all of these mentors who were men who were giving you chances and, you know, they were really no, honoring. I was, I was fortunate. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did those uh, really masters of architecture, I would say, how did they influence you? Well, it's hard to say how, but that was that's my mindset. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, that was how I was raised. And, and uh, I think it definitely... That aesthetic that they had, which, I mean, it wasn't one thing. There were many different ones. I mean, Gregory Ayn was very different from Buff Straub and Hensman, for instance. But uh, it influences my work now. Definitely does. I mean, my woodworking is very much reflects that aesthetic. It's not... It's beautiful. You have the, so much of it, too. Unless <laughs> yeah. it's not all here, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because the trend in wood turning now is towards more and more ornamentation. Just people trying to outdo themselves with how ornamented they can be, and I just I can't do that. I mean, for me, it's the natural material, the beautiful wood, right. and a beautiful shape, and that's all it takes. And that's definitely those were the rules of the game in those days. And since then, it's gone through all kinds of other aesthetics. So after that, I heard that you were doing a lot of work um, with a developer in the Marina Peninsula area, and you you were really questioning that. You were saying, you know, the the design was good of the buildings, but whether those buildings should have been built was a whole other question. It's still a question. I mean, that, actually, that was when I was working with friends from school. They had formed a company, and they were actually developing those buildings. Yeah, especially when I walk down the Marita Peninsula now, and I see what it became. It really, yeah, it really uh, makes me sad because at the time it was just beautiful. It was just sand dunes and grasses and s some oil wells and some little shacks. <laughs> I mean, it was really a different place, and it and and in a way we started what. It's become, we were sort of the first ones, or one of the first ones who took advantage of that great place to... But it would have happened. It would have. Oh, yeah. You can't stop it. But at the same time, it's you, at the time, you, you couldn't help but wonder, because you could see that that was coming. Yeah. So what did you do after that experience? At some point, I started doing, you know, kind of doing art. I started taking some printmaking classes, and then with a couple of other people, we opened uh, a printmaking workshop. So I did that for a while. Um, it was in Santa Monica. It was re it was really great. But um, you know, at some point, I realized that um, when I started thinking about how I was going to turn it into money, it wasn't any fun anymore because it becomes a whole different thing, and you're doing different things. and And I thought, this is crazy. I have a profession, you know. So if I want to earn a living, that's really the best way to do it. Let the other thing just be for fun. Anyway, I went back to work and um, 
At some point, yeah, after that was when I uh, decided to apply for the teaching job, I think, at SC. So I saw this lecture of you. In, oh, at SciArc? Yeah, at SciArc. Oh, yeah, and that was, wait, no. Yeah, I missed that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, skipped was, to USC, which was much later. Yeah, I mean, I saw this panel of women in architecture, and you had talked about how you started teaching, and in teaching you were questioning, too, like that you were teaching things the same way you had learned it and you had come from this experience of you know not being sure whether the development was was the right thing to be building these buildings and so uh out of that it sounded like the community design studio sort of happened um can you tell me about that well it it was very short it didn't last very long Um, i was i only taught at sciarc for two years you know and i think that was in the second year so it was a very short thing so but it was an attempt to try and get that kind of thing going and at the time i the thing that did come out of that was that i I got to be the SciArc's representative on the board of the community, Los Angeles Community Design Center, which I stayed on forever. Uh, and they were actually doing this work, and it was a nonprofit doing the work in the, for various community groups. Uh-huh. And so that was great. And I stayed, I stayed on that board for a long time and actually worked on a few projects with them. Nice. And like- they're, they're still in existence under another name, actually, but... It grew into, uh, and it actually spawned a lot of other organizations like, not sure what their exact name is, Hollywood Community Development Corporation and Santa Monica Community Corporation. And, you know, they're kind of all over now, but that was the original one. Oh, wow. Yeah, it came out of some guys at the AIA wanting to do that kind of work, and they started it, and then it became more independent. Nice. What kind of products were they? Oh, all all kinds of things. Whatever whatever community groups would need, they would come come to to the design center to get design services for very little money, and they would help them work on their buildings, design a playground, you know, that kind of thing. Is that how you became involved with the affordable housing projects? Uh, well, I'd always been interested in in doing that, but what what happened that actually got me into it was that it was around 84 that Dolores Hayden came to me because she had a possibility of a job in Willowbrook to do affordable housing and uh, she didn't have a license and she didn't have a lot of experience in actual work so she asked me if I wanted to do it with her and of course I did Mm -hmm. so we formed a partnership to do that job it was for Drew Economic Development Corporation it was near the Drew uh, Medical Center uh, it was uh, 48 units on a really large site. It was nice. And uh, it was to have ch- a child care center there as well, which actually never got built. But at some point, Dolores decided she didn't really want to do that. Huh. That, it, that it was harder than she thought. Okay. <laughs> it, you know, because these projects take forever. It's not the architecture part, but it's just a lot of red tape and applying for funding and and you were you're saying it took a long time, but that was in eighty four you said uh-huh. so it's worse now right <laughs> uh, it's 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 worse. <laughs> it's, it's more complicated. I don't know that it takes longer because um, I think people weren't so smart about it. Then. You know, I mean, it was a lot of this was newer. So, but some of the people doing it now have a lot of experience, and it's still 
just impossibly difficult because everything keeps changing. So you can't you can't learn anything. Each project is different. You go to the next one and you everything that you thought was true here is no longer true. They've changed it from the city regulations to the funding requirements. It's just crazy. Anyway, so we did. So Dolores left that project. And so I finished it on my own. Wow, 48 units? Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't do everything. Okay. <laughs> I, had, I got some help, you know, to finish the drawings and everything. But um, but still, it was like, it was under your ownership, basically, your project. Yeah, that one yeah. that one was, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So that was the first one. And then the, the, the big jump into affordable housing came when, um, I think it was 91, four of us women uh, got together to form one company. The idea was that we would be developers of affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, two financial people and one contractor and myself. And uh, we got together to do all these projects, which we did. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but after some time, what happened was that we would we would partner with a nonprofit. We were a for-profit developer, so each project had to have a nonprofit partner. Sure. So we would partner with a local nonprofit wherever the project was. And the result was that most of the nonprofits didn't really do their part because they didn't know how or what for whatever reason. We ended up doing their job too, but they got half of the developer's fee oh, wow. for, for their part. So at some point. We decided the best thing was just to have our own nonprofit. So we formed a nonprofit, which is now called Works. And one company kind of backed out, stopped doing it. So Works became the developer, the nonprofit developer. Got it. And I'm not a part of Works, but Works became my client. How complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of complicated. So Works became my client, and a lot of these project, affordable housing projects that I did were for Works. But I, I was not on the board or, you know. And what did, uh, I know Works did for women organizing resources, services. knowledge, and, and services. services. That's great that you were able to do that kind of work. It must have been pretty meaningful. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it really is. Because I think I would have a hard time doing single family houses. Um, but you, I mean, you have before, right? No. I tried a few times, but it, it, nothing ever got finished. I didn't enjoy doing it. Recently, it seems like you've been partnering with different companies on projects, you know, like the Planned Parenthood or El Central del Pueblo projects. Can you tell me about how you work in these collaborations? Well, it varies depending on the, the person and the, and the job, but... Um, for, for quite a while, I had my own office. I actually had it here. That whole half of the house was office at one, at one point. And uh, the projects were, you know, pretty big. I didn't want to expand an office and hire more people. I had one person working for me. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. uh, just just one? Yeah, Sarah, Sarah Hayes. So that was it. And, it, you know, we couldn't handle everything. So I started working with other offices, which was terrific as far as I was concerned, because sure. they had the staff and a lot of experience that I didn't have, you know, that we didn't have. That It was really terrific. So I didn't have to have the responsibility of having a whole office mm-hmm. and I could do what I wanted. You know, I worked with them. That's amazing. And, and when I partnered with Fernando, uh, that was a little different because he, he didn't have a big office. He was somebody who worked for a large firm, but... He was one of the most incredible designers I've ever met. Unfortunately, he died recently, much too young, yeah, and very sad. And he really cared about this work and really wanted to do it. He was delighted to just jump in and 
do incredible drawings and do whatever he could to get it to happen. So, wow. so he had an office that was very small, that was his at the same time that he had. Wow. He worked for a big firm doing huge projects. And for Planned Parenthood, for instance, I worked for Fernando and Tom Kowal, uh -huh. which is the firm that was doing a lot of the work before that. But they, what they did was mostly, you know, they produced the drawings. Okay. So or, you... or, or produce a lot of the drawings, because we did some of them mm -hmm. here, depending on the size of the project. So were you more of like the design architect, and then they would be more of the... Yes, um, yeah, okay. kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But it was it's all been kind of loose about who does what, depending on what we're doing. Wow. So you have to have a really good relationship. Oh, yeah. it's it, It's been great. I mean, and now that I've kind of backed off doing these projects, Ed has taken over and he's doing the projects for works now. And I go in and kibitz a bit, <laughs> which is fun. So, nice. Yeah. Um, do you miss it? No. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I really enjoy going and, and, and helping out. I mean, you know, in the beginning stages especially. But um, I don't miss most of it. <laughs> I mean, I've done this a long time, and I think I'd really gotten kind of burned out yeah. towards the end. And I started doing this other stuff, which I just love doing. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> I mean, that's what I'd rather be doing now. Yeah, there's so many parts to architecture and building things that is really tedious. and Really tedious, and it's gotten more so. I mean, when it used to be the part that I enjoyed was this much, Right. It got to be this much. Right. You know, and it just it just got more and more complicated and more and more things she had to deal with that were didn't make any sense. Yeah. And were kind of crazy. You know, I I love my clients, but they could be really difficult too. Sure. You know, and make decisions that you just don't understand and that don't make sense to you and it can make you kind of crazy. And I just after a while I just got <laughs> so I didn't want to do it anymore. Makes sense. I mean, how how long did you work? Yeah, 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more. It's a <laughs> yeah. long time. It's a long time. It's a long time. Uh, what were some of your favorite projects? Oh, gosh. Well, the, the affordable housing projects, for sure. I like the historic ones, for some reason, that like Pisca Village. I think Sarah and I did that pretty much together. By yourselves? I, I think that uh, Gary Shirkwist might have helped us out on that. Uh-huh. But still, I should check that. I, do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, still, it's like um, how many units with two or three people? Yeah, it's... but we did, we did, we did have some help on that, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, that was that was it was a lot of different buildings. <laughs> there were, I think, I can't remember, eleven buildings on that on that site. Each uh -huh. one was different, and then new construction would had to fit in it. But it was it was really, it was a really fun project. Yeah, and it came out really well, I think. I, and I read about, too, that what's interesting was the development wasn't just about the buildings. It was also about creating community and having markets and cooking. and. Well, all, those, all, the, all the works projects have that. That's, that's one of their goals. Most of the projects have gardens, although they're getting smaller as the projects get denser. I mean, there's not a lot of land. That, that project was really fortunate in that it had a lot of space right. to do those things in. And it had the existing buildings that had a lot of community space and we're able to have a lot of community space and probably with the historic properties too there's a lower density that you can oh, yeah. achieve yeah. economically yeah that was very low density and it had lots of existing landscapes so it was it was nice 
Yeah, I mean that that project won a few awards, didn't mm-hmm. it? That's great. How did you learn how to run a business and do all of these things? I'm not sure I learned how to run a business. <laughs> I, uh, and and it was small, you know. It wasn't. I wasn't managing lots of people or working with big payrolls. It was, you know, it's been. It was very small and simple. And and I wouldn't say that I ran a business in a very profitable way. Either, <laughs> you know, it, it was just kind of seat of the pants, getting by. And luckily, it worked. You know, it worked. At least it worked well enough. Well enough to get the work done, and we could keep doing it. I, I would have never guessed that it was such a small office, uh, just based on the size of the projects and you know. Well, it had, I was able to do it because of these other firms. Sure, but even you know the one we just talked about, <laughs> even then it's you know a, a pretty big project for a small office. Yeah, maybe we didn't do it as fast as a big office would have done it. I, I don't know. Huh. Um, so uh, you mentioned Sarah, uh, Sarah Hayes. She spoke very highly of you, and yeah, it was it, it worked out really well for both of us. I, th- I think she's terrific. You know, she was great, and it worked well for her because she she had a small child, who's not small anymore, but at the time she was pretty small, so she needed to have a really flexible schedule and hours that were conventional. So this, you know, she was able to do that. She could mm-hmm. work what she wanted to, and uh, you know, as long as she got the work done. It was fine with me. Wow. And if she had to take time off for her extended family or her child, she was able to do that. Wow. And so that worked well for her. Yeah. Do you think that you had a pretty flexible lifestyle for yourself as well? or? Yes, I'm single. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Was it, I mean, were you working all the time or was it pretty? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, I won't say I didn't take time off. I mean, the time in India was kind of time off, and the time I took with West End printmakers, I sort of consider time off. Sure. Doing something else. So there was a break in between. But otherwise, it was pretty steady working. Mm Did you ever feel like burnt out in the middle of your career, or I don't know that we use that term. <laughs> that, that, uh, certainly at the end, I did. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I kept doing different things so that uh, I think I, I I didn't stick with things long enough to really feel burnt out. The oh well, the well, the one thing that really burned me out was teaching at USC. That was. Probably the most difficult How long thing I've ever done. Five years, and uh, I ended up sick as a result of it, and I, uh, and I had to take time off there because I was just I, w- I was pretty sick. I had a gra- I got Graves' disease, which I think was caused by I think a lot of the stress of the job. Oh wow! But I mean, I got over it and I'm fine. But it was not a fun experience. Sure. Was that a long time ago, or? Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. I taught there from like, 81 to 86. I had two job offers. One was Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and the other was USC. Oh, wow. And I took USC, and I often wonder what what life would have been like had I taken the other one, which probably would have much been, been a much better fit for me, actually. Anyway, <laughs> it was not a friendly place sure. at the time. Yeah. I don't know what it's like now, but it was... Not good. I was on I was on tenure track. 
there was, I think, one other woman on the faculty, and then uh, Diane Gerardo came, but she was in history. But I was the only tenure-track woman. Wow. Um, and it was not fun. Um, was it? And like... the teaching was hard for me too. I, but that was—that's not the school's problem. That's sort of my problem. I, I really enjoy teaching one-to-one with the students, but I'm not good at the—I'm not good at the lecture thing, and I'm not good at the. I don't know how much you experience this or how much it even exists now, but the but the jockeying for position and the and the <laughs> the political that, nature of everything, the political stuff. I'm just yeah yeah I, yeah. Don't, I don't do well at that. So I think you know there's more that goes on than I'm aware of because I'm just a part time lecturer. I'm not a tenure or tenure track. Good way to be. Yeah. Well, they pay you a lot less. That's, but that's true. <laughs> but you know you don't have to deal with a lot of extra extra expectations and competition, I think. What do you teach? First year. I like it. And yeah, first year is great. <laughs> I like first year too. Did you teach only first year or did you teach other subjects? I think I only taught I only taught first year. I think I taught graphics for a while. Yeah. I try to shut the whole thing out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm sorry to you know. Oh, it, you know, that. it's all part of the experience, you know. In a way I was glad at it. I mean I'm glad very glad it ended the way it did because otherwise I would still be there. Oh, you think so? Well, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> no, I would have retired by now. <laughs> Even with the profession changing, it's slow in academia. Part of it's like the tenured positions only open up every so often, and so there's still an unbalance of men and women and diversity. There was no diversity. At yeah. USC? Yeah, at least then. Um, when you went to school, was there a lot of diversity a little not a lot because tuition was supposedly very high there so i think that kind of that makes a difference yeah when it's it's not very affordable oh the other interesting thing about when i went to school was that it, speaking of diversity a lot of the students were returning korean war vets oh, on the gi right. bill so that made a huge difference and it meant First of all, they were older. I was one of the, by far, the youngest people in my class. And a lot of them were married, even yeah. in undergraduate school. And in a way, that was a good thing, you know, because they were a little more mature. And it's interesting, too, because I think it's not a profession of privilege at that point. Yeah. You know, through your career, what personality traits do you think made it possible for you to be successful as an architect? Well, you know, when I said, okay, my parents thought I should be an architect because I was good at math and, and art, I was never a good salesperson. <laughs> I, and I think that's really important if, if, to success. And so I, wouldn't, I don't know that I'd call myself, I was successful in that I did, ended up doing the kind of work I wanted to, but I wouldn't say that I, I was successful in the you know, conventional terms you know, fame and fortune. Sure, okay. You know, you know. <laughs> so, um, but, I, but I think salesmanship is really important. I see that. Yeah. And uh, too bad, but it's true. <laughs> but it's true in every field, I guess, so it doesn't really matter. But it sounds like, so if you weren't good at selling your, your work, it sounds like a lot of your projects came through relationships. Exactly, then. exactly. Yeah, completely. <laughs> no, when I think about it, it's really true. I mean, Dolores, I don't know how I'm, I don't remember how I met Dolores or how we connected. Oh, and, and part of it was through, uh, might have been through Mary Jane, who was one of the partners, Mary Jane Wagley, 
who was one of the partners in one company. She's an amazing woman. She was a, a graduate student at UCLA. Anyway, she knew Dolores from UCLA, and she was working in the county uh, community development at the time that Willowbrook was done, and county, the county was one of the funders. And she might have pegged Dolores. So I think it was through all that connection. Anyway, Mary Jane ended up being one of the, the uh, partners in one company, and also she was uh, the executive director of Planned Parenthood Los Angeles oh. after, after that after one company. Okay. And so she was the one who wanted us to do the, the headquarters building and all of that. So yes, it was all it's all it was relationships. That's pretty incredible. I mean, it just goes to show how far that can take you. Yeah, and now we're doing, I say we, Ed is the official architect, are doing one of the uh, homeless HHH projects on 88th in Vermont. And that came to us through, uh, it was a works project, but also through Brenda Shockley, who was uh, the executive director of Drew Economic Development, who did Willowbrook, and she also was on the board of works Mm -hmm. and is now working for the mayor. And she was director of Community Build, which had that site that this project is on. All of the people you just named were all women. Um, (laughs) Do you think it made a difference that there were a lot of women working as these developers or a community organization? Probably. (laughs) I mean, the ones that I ended up working with, they certainly aren't all women, but there are a lot of women in that field. And so is work still going strong? Mm -hmm. Struggling, (laughs) like all nonprofits are. And everybody is way overworked, underpaid, but they just keep going. The main person is the person who really started the whole thing, Janet Grace, and she's incredible. She just keeps it going. Um, I mean, I assume that the problem that they were trying to solve or help solve has only gotten worse and worse. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's gotten harder and harder. You know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense, and yet you don't know what to, what to do because it, I mean, everybody knows we need housing. They want to build mm-hmm. housing, and yet the process gets more and more difficult. So how does this make sense? Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, what advice would you give someone if they were interested in getting involved or getting into that nonprofit sector or doing affordable housing work? Well, I guess the main thing is to find like-minded people and know that it's not easy, (laughs) but you want to do it anyway. You know, it's worth doing, but um, you probably won't get rich or famous (laughs) doing it. (laughs) Well, you know, if that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. I'm not sure how I, how I would advise anybody to find a, an avenue except to just hook up with people who are doing it, who have the experience. Because I can't imagine just jumping in and not having done it before because it's really, really difficult. And the main thing is the developer who knows how to navigate the system, mm-hmm. knows where to get the money. I mean, what, one of the projects, Somerville, uh, down on Central Avenue, very complicated project also on two sites connected it to a historic, another historic building. That project had 21 sources of funding to get it together. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know how the developers don't just have ulcers and all these terrible problems. Oh, really? Really? (laughs) When I think about it, our job is easy compared to theirs. Yeah. So uh, earlier you had mentioned um, uh, the Planned Parenthood. And so... I mean, that resource has a huge impact on women. Oh, yeah. 
it seems like a lot of your projects working with nonprofits, they are and aren't political in a way. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. How do you think your views kind of your personal politics? Oh, well, it's right there. That's amazing, though, that you were able to create this career for yourself where you could do things that have meaning for you. Yeah, I feel very lucky in that way. Yeah. Because I don't think it was working otherwise. And it took me a long time to get there. When do you think that happened? Well, starting with Willowbrook and then really with one company. And that was, you know, in my in my life, it was a long time ago, but in my life, it's relatively recent. Right. Was that like the 90s? Yeah. Willowbrook was 84, but then it, it was early 90s that uh, we started one company. Yeah. I mean, you graduated in... 60. That is a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you keep motivated from that point to where you were doing this work that well, I mean I went in and out of motivation I did different things along the way you know I, I, it was not a straight career path by any, <laughs> by any means yeah I think that's a difference maybe I don't know if it's between now and then or if it was just me but when I was in school I did really well in school it was really easy they told you what to do and all you had to do is do it but, but nobody tells you what to do once you're out of school and I didn't understand about planning a career or, you know, having a path from here to wherever I wanted to go because I didn't even know where I wanted to go. So it was, it was like this, you know. <laughs> I, I sometimes think people who, you know, say they had this direction or are achieving a certain direction, sometimes I think they're lying. <laughs> oh, you think so? I don't know. Because, I mean, uh, I, it just seems like so much of it is happenstance. Like Oh, so much. You know, somebody says, hey, you want to do such and such, and you go do it. And I, it wasn't me. I mean, well, but, you know, in a way, you did make a decision to have your own company. And so that in itself was kind of you putting yourself in a different direction, right? It, I don't think it happened like that. It was no? more that there was the work to do, and the way I had to do, the way to get the work done was to... Make your own company. Make my own company. And I didn't think to myself, I'm making a company. It's like I have this job and I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll do it and I need some help. So uh-huh. get somebody to help me. And and there it is. But the so the first job when you said, okay, I'm going to make my company, was that through, you know, your classmates or through no, the, teaching? Well, well, the first job I had on my own was Willowbrook. And that was Dolores. And we made a company, the two of us which didn't last very long because she decided sure. she didn't want to do it. So then I had the company, and I needed help. So I asked my colleagues, actually from school, I worked mostly, mostly with friends from school when I needed help. You know, somehow we got it done. <laughs> and, then, and sort of been like that, as needed. At any point in doing uh, that type of work, I mean, did you think, well, I'm going to, I guess, just rejoin an officer? We'll see, like, maybe I'll get another job, like, you know? Things just happened as I, as, uh, as I went along. I was actually working, uh, I was working for Sussman Frazier when uh, Willowbrook came along. So I was doing both to start with. And um, then, you know, after that, one company started, and that was... And it just that kept was a big, going. Yeah, that was a big one, and then it just kept going. And, and as those jobs came along, I did those... Each job I kind of made happen in a different way, depending. Like we did work some work in Oregon, and so some of that, one job we hired at a local firm to do the whole thing, mm-hmm. and I just kind of, uh, 
I don't know what. I spent time in their office making sure that it was going the way we wanted it. And then another job, we had a local, we had a local architect, but uh, we did all the design. I hooked up with Fernando at that point and uh, myself. And so we did, we did all of that. And then the local architect did the actual drawings. So that was that one. You know, so each one kind of had a different team depending on the job. I would put the team together, I guess. So it was a little haphazard, but it kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're comfortable with that flexibility in life. I mean, it seemed to work. I like <laughs> I like it. I mean, I, I like the people I worked with, you know, it was that that part is great. You know, that I have all these great people I could call on. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, do you think that the profession has changed uh, over the course of your career? And what do you think we should be critical of today? Well, there are, it's gone through a lot of different different phases of, over time. And um, I can see that it's changing in a way that I think is good after having gone through some phases that I didn't think were so good. Really? You know, a lot of the... Yeah, a lot of the architecture things. And I feel like for a long time there was no consciousness of the environmental effects of architecture and and incorporating all those things in, in, into architecture. There was no, nobody was talking about that, like in the 80s. And it was in the consciousness then, but architects weren't talking about it. But lately I feel like that's that's changing a lot and it seems like some good work is a lot of good work is coming out of that too and it's like the it's like with the wood turner you know I, th I feel like a lot of this a lot of the ways that it's going has to do with everybody has to do something new you can't do the same old thing you have to and you have to kind of outdo the next person to and and that happens in architecture too that, that everybody wants to make a little more noise interesting yeah it is it is would you consider, I mean, you, you've been so interested in the arts, would you consider yourself an artist before an architect or both? Or I don't know. I often wonder what would have happened if I'd gotten to this stuff earlier, you know, in, instead of architecture or yeah. you know, devoted my life to it, what would have, what would have happened? I think I would, might have been happier. I don't know. Oh, it's, wow. it's hard to know. <laughs> it's hard to know. Yeah. Maybe not, you know. I don't know. I mean, any, anything you do is interesting if it's got a challenge and, you know, you can stretch yourself. And I'm just glad I found something new to do that I like. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for talking and for all of your time and offering your wisdom. I don't know how wise, but you're welcome. <laughs> no, you've achieved so much. I mean, I can only hope that one day I would have meaningful work like yours. That's really nice to hear. And that's our show. My guest today was Ina Dubnoff, and I'm your host, Audrey Sato. You can always connect online at www.xx-la.com or on social media at XXLA Podcast. You can also find out more about Ina and see examples of her wood-turning work at www.inadubnoff.com. If you like the show, please do me a favor and write an iTunes review or share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.